0: Welcome to the first ever inaugural episode of the Lebanese Politics Podcast, where we talk about all things Lebanese politics right before leading up to the uh, Lebanese election on May 6th. Uh, It is uh, a little bit late in the game for us to be getting into this, but all the same, we are going to take you through everything that we possibly can leading up to the elections and then probably a little bit after the elections as well, uh, so you understand exactly what's going on. Uh, within uh, Lebanon, within Lebanon politics, and within uh, the campaigns that are going on. Uh, My name is Benjamin Redd. I'm a journalist with the Daily Star, the newspaper here in Beirut. Uh, I cover elections uh, for them mostly up in the north uh, and also a bit here in Beirut. Uh, I'll probably be doing a few other places. I'm joined by Nizar Hassan, who is uh, a brilliant nerd at the Lebanese Center for Policy Studies, uh he is also an insane activist uh he works for uh the or works with the talafwatini uh coalition who uh they're contesting the elections this year uh nizar what tell, tell us uh what you do exactly for lcps
1: so what i do at lcps is basically a policy public policy research so we do research about public policies and the in terms of economic policies and social policies um, And now we're monitoring we also monitor the executive and legislative authorities and their performances Uh, so my work is mostly focused on that
0: okay Uh, but then in addition to that you are working uh you're volunteering in the elections with uh, the talaf watani the national coalition uh tell Mm -hmm. us about your work with them.
1: so yeah what happened is that when i came back to beirut six months ago uh, there was a campaign happening in Shouf and then it expanded to Alay so it's an independent campaign called Lihakki which is uh, literally for my rights and uh, it has a relatively progressive and very grassroots nature and then when uh, the of Watani was being founded uh, our group was one of the founders of Tahaluf Watani so now we're working as a list called Kullu Nawatani the same name for all the lists in, across the countries. And uh, Kuluna Watani, uh, which was for, formerly known as the Haluf Watani, is, um, is uh, including activist groups and uh, and some, a very few number of political parties.
0: All right. So you are an activist, but we are going to keep you honest and we're just going to analyze things on this podcast. But we're very happy to have your uh, perspective on everything as well. So the idea with this podcast is that we are going to be coming to you every Monday morning with the latest updates, what happened over the past week, and then digging a little bit deeper into a few issues on each podcast. Uh, but this for this first episode, though, we, we really have to set the basic context and, and, and lay out the field, explain what's going on. So we're going to try to do that as briefly as possible, and we'll see if that works. Okay, so... Let's set the stage here, Nizar. It's been a really, really long time since the last elections. The last elections, the last national elections in Lebanon were back in 2009. Nine years ago was the last time the Lebanese voter had a chance to elect any parliamentarian at all. These same 128 or now 125 people have basically been sitting in in their seats, haven't had to run for anything for the past uh, nine years, and a lot has gone on during that time uh so of course first off they've had to like extend their own term of parliament three different times which has not been the most popular thing to do in a supposedly democratic society but uh there were there were a lot of sort of reasons like i, I guess you could say reasonable reasons for doing this there was a it was just this major political sclerosis during this time um we had a period of two and a half years something like that of no president Uh, From 2014 to 2016, we had long periods where there were resigned governments, still just like carrying out basic day-to-day business, but they were technically resigned, so they had limited powers. We had uh, security problems because of the war in Syria, sort of spilling over back in 2013, for instance. There, there was a whole lot of uh, stuff going on with uh, because of all these problems, the central bank had to. Create all of these crazy uh, monetary stimulus and, and extraordinary monetary policies, sort of to prop up the Lebanese economy. And of course, then you also had uh, the Syrian refugees fleeing conflict in Syria, who were here. Who uh, I mean, the Lebanese. There were there were a lot of things uh, going wrong in the Lebanese system with infrastructure and everything like that. But this influx of refugees sort of added to the strain of the system as well. And um, amongst all of this, one of the big things that happened uh, was in two thousand fifteen. There was the closure of one of the major garbage uh, landfills uh, right near near Beirut. There was a massive garbage crisis. Mm-hmm. And it, can you can you sort of walk us through what happened with that and why that's important for the elections?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, the momentum started basically with the first extension of the parliament, uh, with the with the movement against the extension of parliament. So this is in two thousand thirteen. Thirteen, the first one which uh, was extended the pretext was the security issues happening in the north that they could not uh, handle the elections now with all the security threats however it was not convincing enough to a lot of people so there was a movement against the election extension and this is where the momentum started more or less Uh, it manifested in 2014 again with the second uh, extension of the parliament term and then in 2015 with the garbage crisis as you said they closed the Nami landfill the garbage was in the was piling up in the streets, and uh, the movement started happening basically quite spontaneously among what is called civil society activists, people working um, in small groups, uh, not really parties, mostly very small organizations, mostly active on the media scene, on this online media scene, um, and then s- s- things started accumulating. We had maybe the biggest independent uh, protest movement in Lebanon since the civil war. This was in summer two thousand fifteen. And starting then, you've had this uh, different political dynamics related to independent political organizations. So we've had the municipal elections in 2016, where uh, in a lot of different villages and towns and cities, including Beirut, civil society and independent activists lists against ruling class lists like against the list combining
0: different forces of the can can, can i just can i just back up just a little bit on the on the garbage crisis this was such a a major thing because literally garbage was piling up all over the capital people were setting it on fire so there were there were garbage fires going on across the capital and we had thousands of people coming out sometimes, sometimes on a nightly basis, down to downtown in front of the Grand Sarai, which is the the, the governmental, the the seat of government in uh, downtown Beirut. And they were being sprayed by water cannons from the internal security forces. Uh, It it was this period of, of really massive unrest because of the government's inability to provide basic services. And that's what just to give a taste of, of mm-hmm. what propelled all of this. So then this sort of goes into the two, the, the 2016 uh, municipal elections uh, and propels it there, right? Exactly.
1: And uh, you had the manif- the manifestation was an in independent lists being formed in different places against the established parties lists, And in Beirut, we had the phenomenon of Beirut-Medinati, which was a quite successful gathering 40% of the votes, uh, but obviously not getting any seats because of the majoritarian electoral law that was in place. Um, then we had the elections in the order of engineers and many orders, many liberal professional order, orders that also accumulated uh, this momentum until we reached the present moment.
0: Yeah. And I, I think so So that's one of the big stories that leads into this year's elections, this, this new civil society movement, this uh, uh, this pent-up frustration at a political class that has proved in many cases feckless and and by their own admission you talk to politicians and they say yeah we are unable to do this we understand why people are mad but they they tend to blame the other politicians right it, it's everyone pointing fingers at each other um, and so you have this this third party momentum sort of mm-hmm. so to speak that's one of the main developments the emergence of civil society as a political force one of the other big things just ever present uh, in Lebanese politics, though, is Lebanon's relationship to Damascus, and this has canonically been uh, for since 2005 expressed in the March 14th sort of anti-Syrian versus March 8th pro-Syrian camps. Uh, before the podcast started, before we started recording, these are uh, I was making the point that the the lines were very blurred, uh, and this didn't really matter as much as it used to. This distinction between March 8th, March 14th. Um, but is that really the case? Uh, is the March 8th March 14th distinction dead?
1: Well I don't think it's dead for many reasons, but mostly because the position that was previously from the Syrian regime itself is now in alignment with um, some regional political force. So we're talking about Iran and Saudi Arabia now uh, and the main divide the main political divide between the future movement headed by Prime Minister Hariri and Hezbollah on the other side, each of them having their own, strong Christian political parties as allies, is still um, about this regional alignment. So you have the Lebanese forces on the Hariri side, the FPM on the Hezbollah side. These two Christian parties sometimes may have alliance together, but they're still on different camps.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah. And and just to piggyback on that really quickly, the, the relationship with Syria, between Lebanon and Syria, it, it's just naturally important. And especially as the Syrian war, it appears to be coming to a close right now. Assad appears to have basically won and is consolidating his gains, unless something late in the game changes that. Uh, and so, in these elections, it's really important because all of the parties are trying to set the stage for what their relationship will be with Damascus after the elections. I agree. Okay, so we've uh, we've set the stage talked about the like the general context of the elections but let's get into the like what the fuck is going on with the electoral law all right basically how are these elections being conducted you know the, the the first thing that really stands out right is that this is a proportional law this is from time immemorial uh Lebanese elections have been conducted on the basis of first past the post if you got a plurality of the votes if you beat the the other guy you're in you're an MP but for the past several years a lot of support has been growing for a proportional system uh, be more fair you know give represent better representation to the population to the Lebanese public so the politicians like got together and they they didn't really they they did a proportional system in name but it's not really a proportional system because in a real proportional system smaller parties have a chance of really breaking into parliament and that's not really the case under the system basically the electoral districts i mean lebanon's a small country to begin with right Uh, about four million people small area they divided the country up into 15 districts and they divided up the 128 parliament seats amongst those districts so you have these sky high electoral thresholds you know, I think the lowest electoral threshold is uh, is something like eight percent. 7.5%. right, right, right. But it goes all the way up to twenty percent in in the the in South One, which is Saida City and Zine. Twenty percent. So you, that is, first off, seven point five percent. That's above what a proportional system should be for electoral threshold. It should be five at the maximum, from experts that I've spoken to. So going from that as a minimum to as high as twenty percent, you're not. It's not a real proportional system. And and then there's uh, there's another thing and that that they added into this, which is the preferential vote. So so let's take a step back here. Do you want to explain this, or should I? You exactly. Can okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so we're we're gonna get we're gonna take a deep dive really quickly, and then we're gonna come back up for air. right? So Lebanon is divided into fifteen districts. Within these districts, there are sometimes sub-districts, okay, and that's going to be important for later. So, sometimes there's not. Sometimes, like, in North 1, it's, it's just uh, the first northern district, it's just one district. There's no subdivisions. Uh, in, in Beirut, uh, Beirut 1, it's just a district, there's no subdivisions. Same with Beirut 2. But in uh, saida for instance, as the name implies, there are two sub-districts, sub-dist- Saida and Jazine in Tripoli, Minier, Denier, there are three sub-districts, Tripoli, Minier, and Denier. Okay, so the reason that the subdistrict is important is when you as a voter go to vote. Say you're voting in Tripoli, Minier, Denier. The the list is for the entire the entirety. You have candidates for Tripoli, candidates for Denier, and the one candidate for Minier, right? But you can only cast a preferential vote, you get one preferential vote, you can only cast that for somebody on the list that you're voting for. In your subdistrict, so let's say you're you're voting in uh, the NIE, but you really like one of the candidates in Tripoli, uh, you can't vote for them. You have to vote for one of the candidates in the NIE if you're going to cast a preferential vote exactly. at all. And the uh, important thing about the way that uh, the subdistricts are apportioned is that the preferential vote is not. It's not just a a basic count of oh you got more preferential votes therefore you get so the the point of the preferential vote is uh to to uh give you higher billing on your list right so if you if you if you're more popular then you get a higher position within your list and when the seats are allocated then like you have dibs basically if you've got a lot of uh votes but the way it's done it's not a a straight one-to-one it's done as a percentage of your uh, subdistrict. So in uh, in small subdistricts, then a vote, a preferential vote, counts a lot more than in a big district. So it's really easy to get a high preferential vote if you're a candidate in Minier, but it's hard if you're a candidate in Tripoli, even though those candidates are on the same list. So that introduces some really crazy dynamics into the race, which we'll get into uh later but the other thing that i that we want to get into is that the preferential vote. Well, like why why have it and we were talking about this before the, the podcast right uh and we were talking about well it makes sense for it to be a minority thing uh if you're a, a strong minority you can all get together and cast your preferential votes for the candidate that you actually want and then theoretically they get in right because they have the high so tough daily the high preferential vote Um, And that's important historically, though, right?
1: I agree. It's very important historically, especially that when we speak of minorities in Lebanon, we're speaking of sectarian minorities specifically. So the seats are allocated, specific numbers of seats are allocated within the parliament for each sect. This is the foundation on which all of the elections is happening, any elections in Lebanon, as long as we have this sectarian quotas in parliament. And as you're saying, this is supposed to be the way... That minorities can choose their own candidates within lists in parliamentary elections. Uh, and it's basically the result of uh, the, the pressure that we saw from Christian political parties over the last three or four years saying, we cannot accept that Muslim voters elect Christian MPs anymore. We want right. to be electing our own MPs. Right. So we want a tool for this um, direct representation of, of us, of elec- Christian electorates, Christian voters electing Christian MPs. So this is why the preferential vote
0: happened, uh, but its implications are. But okay, so but that doesn't really work out in practice uh, all the time. So I, uh, for instance, I, I know this political operative in East Beirut, the Beirut One district. It's uh, Christian, uh, like all Christian, uh, MPs for Armenians, for other Christians, and uh, it has the the one seat in parliament for the Christian minority sects. And I went through, based on the numbers that this guy gave me, I went through and there were, these, these are very reasonable numbers. This is definitely a possibility, like a very good possibility that things could work out this way. Based on his numbers, there were 12 possible scenarios. So I gained it out, all 12 of the scenarios. In 11 of those 12 scenarios, the person with zero votes, literally zero votes, got the minority seat. How does that work? It, it it somebody with zero votes could literally win a seat.
1: This is the crazy thing, but it also used to happen with the previous law because in the previous law you had this one se- list that win all seats regardless of its components as long as it has has the main political force in the district. But what you're saying is very important because it it has there are two scenarios that we can think of either sectarian minorities organizing politically to elect their own candidates so that so that politics becomes. Purely sectarian in, in any district we're talking about. And the other uh, scenario is that this cannot happen because these minorities cannot get the threshold each for their own candidates, for their own seat. Right. So they will have to work in alliances like they're doing now, which mean, which makes it much more complicated. But on the long term, it still has the impact of making electoral politics in Lebanon more and more sectarian
0: focused. Mm. So that's a danger of not necessarily for this election, but for the next election. Exactly. If we continue under the same law, that's that's insane. Um, so, like, so big picture with this law, basically we've got this sectarian angle, but then we also have the fact that uh, if you're on the same list, you're competing against your list mates for the preferential vote. It means that Basically, a lot of parties have uh, settled on a strategy of let's just put a couple of big names up there on the list, and then a bunch of window dressing. Maybe they'll bring like 500 votes each or, each or something. They're not going to get elected, but our big names will. And it's also meant that a lot of big names have dropped out because they definitely just won't be elected, according to what people are saying. Fuad Sania, the former prime minister, longtime MP from uh, uh, from Saida, he he dropped out of the race uh, because, well. For for probably a multitude of reasons, but one of which was people were saying he wasn't going to going to get elected. Um, a similar story happened in the north of Tripoli with uh, former finance minister Mohammed Safadi. And so for for this reason, a lot of big names actually hate the law, right? A lot of yeah. the political class and 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 a lot of the people outside the political class hate the law because the the electoral threshold is so high. So it's uh, there are a few people who like the law, but in my in my view, I th- I think more people hate it than than like What do you think?
1: I think from the strongest political parties, there's more... Uh, they, they are mostly pleased, but within them, they have different contradictions.
0: Yeah. But it's it's certainly good for the main leaders of the political parties. That being said, let's take a look at how the political parties are actually on the ground working in uh, different districts here in Lebanon. So I, I'd, I'd like to draw a, a firm distinction from the beginning between uh, basically the, the Amal Hezbollah alliance and their strategy and basically everybody else. Because the Amal Hezbollah, the two largest Shiite parties in the country, uh, they're in an alliance, an electoral alliance with each other. And they're very strong in the south, uh, in, in south two, south three, as, as well as in uh, Beqa three, uh, Baal Beqerimel. And their strategy uh, in the south, at least, is, it makes a whole lot of sense it's, okay, we are so strong here, the electoral threshold is so high, we are just going to get all of our partisans out to the polls, drive that elect, uh, electoral threshold so high, nobody else will be able to reach it, and we're going to dominate. We're going to take all of the seats in South, too, which is uh, uh, Zahrani and Sur. We're going to take all the seats in Nabatieh uh, province. And then in Baalbek-Hermel, they'll probably, you know, there's a question. They're not going to take all of them, uh, the polling tells us. Uh, but they're going to still take a lot. Uh, and if they mobilize people, they will take more. Um, so and th- if this happens, it's, yeah. it,
1: it makes it uh, not so proportional anymore because it's acting as if it's a majoritarian law because of the threshold that you talked about. So, Exactly. If, if you don't have 15,000 people voting for one list, it doesn't mean that this list is not popular. If, if you have one vote less than you should, then you don't get any seats. So it still, to a certain extent, doesn't have the advantages of a proportionate system. Right, Especially right, in right. but but it,
0: it's it's smart given the lay of the land and and the electoral law Right, exactly. it, it it allows for this uh, for this strategy to really work, and and it seems as though it's going to work. For uh, from from what people are saying, like oh yeah, the 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 Hezbollah Amal list is going to do their their lists are going to do very well. they they'll probably have you know like thirty five seats in parliament, something like that. Uh, so they're going to be strong going I think it's going to gonna be
1: very similar for Hariri and Beirut second the the districts mm. where he's running because all of the other lists are also much smaller and they have a very very high um, challenge to actually get the threshold so yeah, you might face the same thing and Hariri winning all of the kind of, all of the uh, seats.
0: You think all of the seats in Beirut?
1: I don't, that's not my predi- Like my data-driven prediction. It's just what I think is uh, the, the dynamic in Beirut second is very similar to the dynamic in, mm. in Zahrani, for example, in the South. Yeah, yeah. The chances okay. of, of breaking through are very, very small.
0: Yeah. I, I know I, I spoke to one of the candidates uh, this past week in, in Akkar, which is a future movement stronghold. They won all seven seats uh, last uh, in the last elections. And he said that's their strategy in Akkar uh, to go raise the Hazlentihabi to raise the electoral threshold so high that nobody else gets in. But that is absolutely imp- impossible, according to everybody else. Uh, th- that it, it, it's just not going to work that way because they're not in in the same position. the 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 cards aren't stacked the right way for them in Akkar, at least uh, the same way that they are for. Uh, Nabi Berri's Amal Party and uh, Hezbollah in uh, Seisur Zahrani. So I I think I think with these other parties with Future, like we're we're seeing other strategies come into play as well, which is just this tangle of alliances, mm-hmm. right? So you have, you have like, uh, Mustabul, the Future Party is allied with the LF, the Lebanese Forces. In some places they're allied with the FPM, the Free Patriotic Movement. Uh, exactly. In other places, and there doesn't seem to be any like rhyme or reason ideologically for this, right?
1: I agree. There's absolutely no clear bottom line ideologically or policy-wise to why these alliances are taking place. There's nothing in common between the the political platforms or the electoral programs of the Free Patriotic Movement and its main partner, Hezbollah. There's absolutely nothing, almost nothing in common in terms of the economic policies or even social policies. They disagree on everything. But this has, it doesn't change at all their political strategy in the elections, or even their political alliance in general, and how they vote on a lot of things in parliament. So this is very interesting to point now that even the alliances that are happening between smaller groups and weaker groups in certain districts are not based on on the project or the vision, but rather based on how many votes they can get and whether they
0: can get the threshold. Right. It's a very local, localized concern. It's like, okay, in, in this district, in district A, uh, if we ally with these guys who we wouldn't normally ally with, we're going to get one more seat. So we're going to exactly. do that. And it, but in their neighboring district, we're going to go with their, with their enemies because we'll get another seat there or, or something, which is insane in a certain way. But there's a logic to it. Um, yep. So, like, the big picture that, that I've heard is that the Hezbollah, Amal, list they're going to do well. Um, generally, but everybody else, there's a question as to how many seats they're going to lose. A lot a lot of people are saying Future's going to lose seats. Uh, the LF, I, I'm not sure if they'll gain or lose. Uh, FPM, I'm not sure. What, what's your sense on that, same? Or? I
1: think, in general, uh, the main political parties will be winning uh, where they didn't win before and losing where they didn't lose before. So they're going to be uh, it's going to be more diverse, but the overall numbers, I don't think there are going to be drastic changes in them.
0: Yeah. I don't, the, the other thing, though, is that just civil society, your your, your friends, <laughs> are, yeah. they're, they're sort of screwed with this. They're, like they, I, The people that I've talked to have said, basically, they've got a chance at maybe one seat nationwide, maybe, it, which is an, under a proportional system, you would think the opposite would happen.
1: I think that's an underestimation, uh, to say the least. I think we're talking more about four or five seats nationally. Uh, But the issue is that uh, the numbers and the statistics... He he
0: has to say that, by the way. (laughs) Otherwise, they'll fire (laughs) him.
1: No, I think that, first of all, uh, the lists of the independent coalition, we launched 66 candidates last week. So... People don't even know about them yet. In the next three weeks, people will be knowing that this is a choice, that it exists. So mm-hmm. all the statistics that we've been hearing so far don't take this element into consideration. Everyone knows every political party in Lebanon almost, but not everyone knows that they have the choice of voting independent. Mm-hmm. So this will have a huge role, and also because now the donations are coming into these, to the independent groups so that they can fund their campaigns, because before people were like, show us your candidates so we can show you the money. So now, uh, I think if you do the same poll today and 10 days from now, you will have very different results in a lot of districts. That's what we're hoping for, at least, yeah.
0: Well, we'll, we'll see. Uh, we've got uh, 22 days, I think, until the election, right? I think so. Uh, and we're going to be back next week. We tried, this, we, we tried this episode to get through a, a, a lot of, a lot of material uh, if you like what you're hearing, please tune in again next Monday. We'll be back with, uh, I think, a little bit more, <laughs> less, less ground to cover, for sure. More focus, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, bear, bear with us. We are, we are broadcasting from a makeshift studio in Beirut. We're, this is a learning process all around, but uh, we're super happy to be coming to you. And please uh, subscribe to us and uh, tune in next week to the Lebanese Politics Podcast. Lebanese Politics Podcast is brought to you by myself, Benjamin Redd, and Nizar Hassan, and also our brilliant behind-the-scenes producer, Susan Wilson and uh, special thanks as well to our music band.